have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Just a quick trigger warning, this episode briefly discusses stillbirth and infertility, so please listen with care. Allie, we are going to hear from our friend Margaret today, and uh, although we know her from the Therapist Network, she's sharing an incredible and almost unbelievable story with us about how her personal life got tied up in her professional life and things didn't work out well. No, it is... A really like wild roller coaster story, but somehow also it's relatable. And we talk a lot about its relatability, but also it, as Margaret self proclaims, it's almost like a telenovela. It is such a great story. We can't wait for you all to hear it. So hang in there and remember that this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself because we don't endorse bad therapy. All right. Well, this is episode number 82 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it. So, Margaret, I know that the three of us are friends from the Therapist Network, but we want to say a big welcome for joining us on the podcast. Oh, well, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, It's so great to, like, get to connect with you in a different platform other than the Therapist Network or Instagram, where I feel like I stalk both of you just a little bit. We love it. We stalk you too, don't worry. I was going to say, I definitely stalk you way more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Margaret, um, why don't you share a little bit um, about yourself with our listeners before we get into your bad therapist story? Okay, so um, I am Margaret Rocca. I live in New Hampshire. Um, I am a licensed mental health counselor in New Hampshire and Massachusetts. Um, I've worked in the field for almost 10 years um, in at least some capacity. So I started out as a behavioral tech in um, addiction treatment and from there went to graduate school, got a master's in mental health counseling. Um, A lot of my experience comes from the world of addictions. And I recently, within the past two year and a half, two years, left addictions and opened a private practice where now I see people um, for like a gamut of issues, but mostly um, my philosophy is that like therapy is a preventative medicine and therapy should be for everyone. So you don't need to come to therapy when there's a crisis. I'd rather you come see me when there's nothing going on so we can get you some skills and things like that um, just so you have them when you need them. And so that's kind of the transition I've made out of addictions and into that, but I still end up working with a lot of people who have been touched by addiction, either themselves or their family members. Um, That's just the world that we live in, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Amazing. So well said. I feel like we need to print that on a t-shirt, everything you just said about therapy there, because I love it. But why don't you tell us what's the story you're going to share that made you question if you were a bad therapist? Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to just preface the story with like, 
all of this is true. It doesn't sound true. It sounds so made up. Um, but I swear I lived it and I'm surprised I lived it. I'm surprised I'm a therapist now. Um, so while I was actually doing my internship and um, fin- I t- ended up taking an extra semester of graduate school just because um, I was working full time. I was in this program for people who worked full time and had full time jobs. And um, I was working overnights in the hospital as a nurse's assistant in the emergency room, seeing a lot of like really cool stuff that um, was like just driving me into wanting to be a therapist anyway. And I had this internship at um, a recovery center. So it was a PHP, IOP, and outpatient. Um, and, you know, I had been there, I think this was my second semester there. I was there for um, pretty much a year. And um, I'm running a women's group one day. Because um, if you know anything about the recovery space, you know, like women show up a lot um, in a lot smaller percentages than men. And it might not necessarily be that women don't have the same like issues with addiction. It's more that um, treatment centers or AA, NA, 12 step groups are not really set up for like women because most of the times the meetings are, are like during mom time and things like that. Or, um, you know, as women, I'm sure you guys can both understand too. Like if I were to go to treatment, um, my fears are that DCF gets involved with my life or some sort of um, institution and my husband doesn't have those same fears. Right. Um, so I'm running a women's group one day and, um, we are talking about how your partner should not complete you. Right. We're going through some AA, um, and NA 12 step stuff. And we're talking about a fourth step and in a fourth step, if you're not familiar with it, so you, write out your resentments, all the people, places, and things that you, you know, don't like. Then you do some turnarounds and you see, where is it my fault? What is, um, what's the part I play in this? And then it comes to sex inventory, which is just a flashy way of saying, like, how did I use sex poorly, um, maybe to get what I wanted or to take advantage of people? And after you do that, you're asked to write um, a sex ideal, which is not your ideal type of sex. Um, That's something a sex therapist can do with you, but not what we were doing there. Um, and it is kind of like, what are the qualities you're looking for in a partner? What do you want them to bring to a relationship? And what do you bring to your relationship? I was recently married at the time and I'm sitting in the room at a conference table with the girls. Um, also just for context too, like I am at this point, 23, 24 years old. Like I'm young. Um, this is my first marriage, which is a whole other thing. Um, I married a man I knew for four months. So that was, it was a mess to begin with. But in the, in the group, right, we're talking about how your partner should not complete you. And I said something to the effect of, you know, I very much love my husband, but if he were to leave tomorrow, I would be okay. Right. Little did I know (laughs) foreshadowing, um, that some things were actually going on behind my back. So um, I run this group. You know, it's par for the course. Some people are talking, some people are not. I leave work that day. I go to go to a therapy appointment, see my own therapist. I have a friend who picks me up from my therapy appointment because we had dinner plans. I'm trying to get a hold of my husband um, just to check in with him, see what's going on. And he doesn't answer the phone when I'm calling him. And 
my friend who was so nicely driving me because we were going out to dinner looks at me and says, I'm not supposed to be the one that tells you this. And at this point, like my heart dropped. I was like, what is going on? Is, is he okay? Like, did he relapse? Um, my husband at the time was an addict. And so I'm just thinking all of these like worst case scenario things. And she looks at me and she goes, he doesn't work for the treatment center that we both were working for anymore. And I just looked at her and I was like, so who did he sleep with? Because you don't get fired from Mm -hmm. that job unless you sleep with a client. And her face was, I don't even know how I asked it with a straight face, but her face just like fell. And she was like, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm not supposed to be the one that tells you he's supposed to tell you. And I'm like, you need to tell me what's going on right now. Um, So to make a long story really short is one of the girls that was in that group that I was running was listening to me share about how, you know, my husband does not complete me. Um, If he left tomorrow, I'd be okay. He makes me a better version of myself, which is what I totally believe in relationships. Your partner should, um, you know, they might have some skills that you don't have, right? Um, but like, I could farm those skills out. I'm not a good cook, but I can hire someone else to do that, right? <laughs> I, I, do, I didn't know how to register my car until this year, but my dad did it for me, so it was okay, right? Like, my partner now, yeah, that he does those things, but he's not like I'll, I'll survive, I'll survive. If I had to. Oh yeah. And so, you know, we were having that conversation, and one of the girls in the group was holding on to a secret she knew that another girl in the group who happened to be a client on my caseload was sleeping with my husband. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, um, you know, Margaret, one of your active clients, so you and your then husband are working at the same treatment facility. You find out through a friend that your husband is sleeping with one of your active clients. Yes. Okay. Just want to make sure I got that. Yep. That's why I wanted to let you know in the beginning, right? Like this is, um, it's not made up. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I wish it was. I can imagine. This is relevant. I can imagine. I don't know if this is relevant. Did they, did people know you were married to each other? Like did people know who your husband was? Everyone knew we were married. We had the same last name. Um, you know, he worked in more of like an operations capacity and I was doing therapy. So he was working, um, the treatment center also owned some sober houses. So he would work a shift at the men's house and do things like that. Um, so he had a very different kind of like peer relationship with them, which is, um, a lesson that I've learned, you know, later on in life about why those things don't necessarily mix. But, um, yeah, so one of the girls, after hearing me share this, after our group was feeling really bad about knowing this secret because the other client who was sleeping with my husband was her best friend. Um, so she ended up going to the house manager at her house, at her sober house and was like, I know something and I feel really bad and I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but like, I just can't watch this happen. And like, it's not going to be good for my recovery if I don't tell someone what's going on. Um, And so, yeah, I find out through a friend 
that he is, my husband is sleeping with a client from my caseload. And I, you know, had so many thoughts going through my head. There were so many different things. And, you know, I was like, holy crap, like, how do I even begin to navigate this? Like, what is going on here? Because that's just, you know, um, I had had some fears, right, around, like, everybody knowing things about my marriage or, um, you know, being a part of, like, the AA or NA community when you're a therapist can be really tough because if you need to go to a meeting and share something. I'm also, I should have mentioned this too, right? I'm a person in recovery. At this point, I've been sober for eight and a half years. Um, At that point, I had been sober for, like, a year and a half, almost two years. And so, you know, I was going to meetings where I lived, also working where I lived. So my husband's going to meetings. I'm going to going to meetings and we all are kind of like very enmeshed, Mm -hmm. which was difficult, Mm -hmm. but it's something that like grad school prepared me for a little bit, right? Because you hear all the time about like, if you live in a rural area and you have to give therapy to someone who maybe, you know, if you lived in a larger place, you would refer them out because you're related to them or, or not you, but like your other clients are related to them, things like that, right? Um, so I was like, oh, I can handle this. It's going to be totally fine. I can handle being in recovery in the same place that I work and where I live and all of that. And, um, it kind of just all blew up and yeah. So you're trying to call your husband. I need to go back into where we we left off the story because you're in the car with your friend who just tells you that your husband got fired and kind of confirms that he was sleeping with a client. You're on your Mm -hmm. way. Do you go to dinner next? What happens? (laughs) Um, actually what I did was I went home and got my dog. Fair. Very fair. I like it. Because I, my dog was actually at my mother-in-law's house and I was petrified that my husband was going to go on a run with this client and take my dog. So that was my priority. It was like, get the dog. That was your baby at the time, right? Oh, I was also pregnant. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Did you just like wait to drop that in there? So that pregnancy was really difficult. Um, I have a very like sad infertility story. And um, my son from that pregnancy had a cystic hygroma. So I delivered stillborn at 25 weeks. Um, and so it was during that pregnancy that this was all happening. So, yeah, um, I think also, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? But, like, in this world where I'm trying to navigate all of these things, um, also being a person in recovery, not blow up my career, um, you know, I'm also pregnant. So yeah. I had that little bit of, like, a buffer built in there for myself at least where I was, like, my baby is unwell right now and I don't know what the outcome is going to look like. So this is a reason that I'm not going to like drink or use any substances or anything like that because I have this other person that I need to take care of and I need to choose first. Yeah. That's powerful. This feels like a really great place to pause for an ad break. Since you're here, we're going to assume that you already like learning from other people. And if you want to take that a little bit deeper and a little further, you should join us on the network. 
The Therapist Network is actually where Allie and I met and formed this podcast, if you can believe it, several years ago. It is where we have our unfiltered, unhinged at times conversations about what being a therapist is like and the unique aspects that come up in our work. Yes, and we value the Bad Therapist community so much. It is such an incredible part of this podcast, and it just reminds me of the invaluable community that is the Therapist Network, and it's just a gift that keeps on giving, and you really should come join us on the Therapist Network. Thank you, Allie, for the shout out. That was a very nice endorsement. I think we can offer everyone listening a 30% off discount for your first subscription to The Therapist Network. So if you're a mental health clinician, use code BADTHERAPIST to join us at thetherapist.network, and we hope to connect with you inside. Hey, listeners, it's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself, and I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care, and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. Well, I mean, this can go in so many directions, but I feel like I am going to ask, like, when did work cross your mind? Because like you said, you have to manage, like, this is your career. This is your place of employment. And obviously, this is all very enmeshed, like you said. So when did work cross your mind? And what started to cross your mind when you started thinking about work? Um, so work crossed my mind pretty quickly, honestly. Um, just because my thoughts were like, does everybody know except for me? Mm-hmm. Like, do I look really stupid? Mm-hmm. What does this look like? Um, and then, you know, the other part of me was like, well, I can't get a hold of my husband. Something's wrong. I need to try to get a hold of him. I'm going to call some people that I know that know him. Um, And so I'm like back, you know, I'm online looking at like our phone bill and things like that. And like looking at like phone numbers that he's called and whatnot to like, because I don't have all of his friends' phone numbers saved in my phone. I know a few people. And actually that was one of the things that like came up really quickly with work was, and I don't know, why did this but I think I just valued my career so much that um the first thing I did was actually look at this client's chart and because she's my client still my client I look at her chart check her face sheet and figure out what her phone number is and if I didn't care about my career if I wanted to light it on fire I would have been calling her I would have been at her house I would have been you know trying to I'm not scrappy, but like, I probably would have tried to fight her or something, (laughs) you know, but instead, right. The first thing I did was find her phone number and her chart. And I made sure that when I was calling all of the phone numbers to try to find my husband, I didn't call that one. Um, which, you know, 
as a, I don't know, a scorned lover. Like, is that what I want to call myself in this moment? Yeah. But like, as like a person who's going through this, like that's, that would be the last thing right now I would think I would do. But I was like, you know what? Um, the things that matter to me are like, I'm not going to allow this girl to take everything from me, right? Like yeah. if she's going to take my husband from me, if she's going to take my marriage, like, okay, that's fine. But I'm not going to let her take my career too. And I wasn't licensed yet. It was the beginning of my career. And I was like, I'm not going to do anything that's going to put my ability to get licensed in the future at risk. I want to know that I did everything in my power to make sure that, you know, I was above bar on all of this. So after I figured out her phone number and didn't call her, but called everybody else, um, you know, the first day that I was back at work with my supervisor, he was like, what do you want to do? Like, you can't really be here right now. And I was like, I'm going to take some time off, but I need you to lock me out of her chart, please. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, I believe all my documentation is up to date. If there's anything that's not up to date, I will handwrite it and give it to you. But I don't want to have access to her chart. I know that. And I told him, I said, I know that you can see in the EHR, like what I do in those kinds of things. So I will let you know that I did check her phone number to make sure that I didn't call her. And I told on myself for that. Um, but it was one of those things where I was like, this is just like, it was kind of an out-of-body experience. I was like, this is my career. Mm-hmm. like. I've worked so hard for this and I wouldn't be the therapist that I am today or the therapist even that I was that day, right? Because like the day before I'm sitting there preaching in a group how my husband doesn't complete me, mm-hmm. how I would be fine without him. If he decided to leave me, it's okay. Like I'm going to be good. And here I am in that position where, you know, ultimately like my husband decided to leave me for a client on my caseload, which, you know, when you're a therapist, it's not that you are in a space where you're like, oh, you know, I have a big education. I'm so much better than all of these things. But I was in this space where I'm like, but she's a client. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm helping her. I'm supposed to be helping her with these like, bad things that are going on in her life. And, you know, I can't really blame her, because she's in treatment, right? She's in addiction treatment. She's, she's an addict. She is going through things. And like, you know, when we're in active addiction, we don't make the best decisions. Um, so it might not have been a conscious like, oh, I want to like, screw that person over and steal their husband and do these things. Um, it's just something that came up and just happened. But for me, it was like, okay, I have to put my big girl pants on right now. And I need to like, ask myself, like, what would, what would licensed you do? Right? Like, mm-hmm. what would, what would future question. you do? And, um, you know, is is it worth it for future you to, you know, probably actually get your butt kicked in a fight because you're not actually that scrappy? Like, is this person, you know, worth mm-hmm. the seven years of school that you've gone through? All of those things. So yeah, I ended up like work came up pretty quick, but um, it sounds like other than that, it was like yeah, it sounds like you went into self preservation mode. Like you, the first thing you did is went and get your dog. And the second, sounds like the second thing you did was protect your career <laughs> by not crossing any boundaries with this client. Um, can you, you know, speak to what it was like when you did return to work? Yeah. So I 
stayed out of work for maybe 10 days, two weeks. Um, and most of the clients that were on my caseload at that point were transferred to other therapists just because obviously they needed someone to be working with them while they were there and I wasn't. Um, but also because they now knew something really personal about me and about my life and what was going on. Um, so when I did come back, I did a lot more admin stuff for a little while. I did a lot of, um, you know, intake assessments and just other things with like new clients and new faces and people that didn't know me. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really actually gave me like a different appreciation for therapy than I had had before. Um, I am that nerd that like loves the paperwork. I love, um, if your site is getting joint commission accreditation, like I will come and help you prep. I will do your binders for you. Like it's not a service that I offer, but I should because (laughs) I love that stuff. Right. Like that's my jam. And I think that kind of came from this like safety of like, I didn't want to sit at home and like be feeling bad for myself because it's really hard to like sit there and be like, Oh, you know, I just lost all of these things. Right. Um, I was like, I want to go to work. Work is my escape. Work is my place. But everyone at my escape knows what's going on with Mm -hmm. me too. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I got to spend time with like the other therapists. I got to work on group development. I got to work on documentation and all of those things, which was really nice. Um, and then eventually when like new clients started cycling in and old ones cycled out, I rebuilt the caseload. Um, and you know, there were times when people would be like, oh, wait, are you that girl? Right. Um, they'd be like, oh, are you this person's wife? Um, oh, I know your husband. And like, there's like a pit in my stomach that like comes up sometimes. And, um, ultimately like me and that man got divorced, but, um, I was finishing grad school right at the time so I didn't change my name back because we got divorced after I graduated from grad school and I'm like I have a degree with a name on it like this is my professional name I'm using it um so for a long time it was like I still I still used his name even though we didn't speak to each other and you know I feel horrible for my husband now because when we first started dating I was like I will not be in a Facebook relationship with you. And he was like, what? And I was like, I will not be in a Facebook relationship with you because if any of my clients ever find you on Facebook and friend you and then try to sleep with you, I'll die. <laughs> my hus- And my husband now didn't work in the recovery field, doesn't work in the recovery field, never has, never will. Um, you know, and I remember like in the beginning of our relationship when like, people would friend request him that he didn't necessarily know he would like run them by me and be like hey did I meet this person at this conference Mm -hmm. that we went to at this thing or is this a client from your work and like thankfully none of them were clients from my work but um you know I also like changed where I was working I went I went to a different treatment center almost an hour away from my house and you know not where I go to meetings not where my network was not where those things are and it really helped me to grow. I mean, the two treatment centers were pretty, like, they worked really well together. And, you know, if, if a client wasn't doing well at one of them, they might step to the other one, um, things like that. So I saw some of the same people and everything. But it was one of those things where I was like, oh, this is the balance of like, 
mm-hmm. stepping out of my own space, right? Like, of course, I'm a therapist and I want to be in an AA meeting and I want to be like, I know you and I like you and I want to be your therapist. Mm-hmm. But the hard part with that is like, then when my life goes to shit, mm-hmm. right? Um, Because not only is it something that's like, you know, your husband could sleep with a client from your caseload, but like, you know, there could, I could run into financial troubles. Mm-hmm. I could, you know, lose a parent. I could have any of those bad things happen. And I want to share about it in a meeting. But then, um, you know, one of the things would be like, if I share about it in a meeting and then you're my client and then we, you come to my office the next day and I'm like, oh, so, you know, you and your husband are really struggling with your addiction and we should talk about some like rules to set up for communicating. Maybe you should consider living in sober living. And you're like, dude, your husband just left you for a client. What do you mean? You can't tell me how to fix my marriage. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, so I feel like, well, uh, let me say, hopefully not many people can relate to this exact story. However. I hope not. I hope not. And if you can. Message you. Yeah. If you can message (laughs) me and we will commiserate. Message us. Yes. (laughs) All of us. We will commiserate and, um, but like, yeah, no. But I don't wish it on anyone. Yes, right. But I do feel like there is a thread, though, that many of us can relate to is like what happens when our personal life makes it hard to do our job, yeah. right? So my question, Margaret, is what were some of the like supports that you used during this difficult time? Because you, like you said, you went to work mm-hmm. and you know there was good parts of feeling fulfilling, but you still had all your own shit going on. And again, I know there are days when I have my shit going on and it can just feel difficult to be present, all these things. So what were your supports? What did you do to get through those moments when it made it so hard because of what was going on in your life to do your job? If it did. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm assuming <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had some no. tough days. <laughs> um, I leaned a lot on like an outside supervisor who actually wasn't involved with the place that I worked at all. She was um, someone who had I had worked with previously. I really... Um, you know, I really liked her style as a therapist and she, she's one of those like people that's real. Um, and so I leaned on her for a lot of things. And, um, it, as like a therapist, she would help me like measure and check on like some of my boundaries and be like, are you getting too involved with this client? Do you, are you investing too much in this? How do you feel about it? Um, I relied a lot on my own like sober support network. Um, so like I said, I'm a person in recovery. I have like utilized meetings and AA for a long time. And at that point I was, you know, coming up against how do I navigate my life in a 12 step fellowship as well when, you know, my clients are here and showing up. So I actually ended up finding like general service in AA and got involved with, um, uh, young people's AA. So I was on committees for, you know, a lot of different um, young people in AA's conferences, um, like the International Conference for Young People in AA. It was hosted in Boston um, quite a few years ago when I was on that committee. I have been on the New Hampshire committee. I've been on the New Hampshire advisory. I've done a lot of those things. And so I just found different ways to get involved with things um, that were, you know, it wasn't necessarily me sharing my stuff either, right? Like when you go to be on a committee, even, you know, even if you go to sit on your like licensing board or things like that and volunteer for that, like nobody's asking you your own stuff, right? Like you're involved in what's going on with policy making and those kinds of things. And I think that's where I realized that like, those are the things that I actually love. I, I love clinical work. I love working with clients, but there's a part of me that's like so much in admin and so much in that sort of like advocating for what 
um, like what mental health is, what it should be. And then again, like I had a therapist then and I had had that therapist. So I could go to her and say like, hey, this is what's going on. Um, I had a sponsor and I could go to that sponsor and say, hey, this is what's going on. Or I could not say anything. And because they knew me, they knew what the silence meant, Mm -hmm. right? Like they could read the silence and they could see like, okay, you're having a bad day today. You, you know, you don't want to be by yourself. You need to just get out of the house. You need to do these things. And um, it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I have to take this for what it is and use the things that I have, but also, you know, build up a better network. Because again, like if my network was only people that were friends with my husband, where would I have been? Mm -hmm. Right. And that's something that um, even like in my therapy work now has translated into like how I work with clients. Right. So like reminding them to like, Hey, you might love your partner, but like, what do you do for you? What's your thing? Because um, that relationship is there, but what if it's not one day? What if, what if something happens and you need to go and gain support? Like, are you going to feel comfortable doing it? It's hard to talk about your problem in a place where your problem is. I love that. Margaret, one thing that impresses me the most um, about you and your story is how you've been able to integrate it into a sense of who you are and how you got to where you are. And I don't know if this is too deep of a question or too broad of a question, but can you speak a little bit about what it's been like to integrate this experience into your professional and personal identity? Yeah, um, it's been it's been really tough, right? Um, and I think here's the thing is a lot of us go through traumas, whatever trauma is to you. Right. Um, and it's not to say that like my trauma is worse or your trauma is worse. We all go through traumas and we have the option to either look at it as something that is happening like to us or happening for us. Um, and that's been a really big mantra that I've kind of taken on is like, what is this doing for me? Right. It's not, it's not happening to me. It's happening for me. So what doors is it closing? What doors is it opening? Um, and being able to look at it and say, you know, um, like I said before, I was pregnant at the time I suffered a pregnancy loss and I've suffered several pregnancy losses since then. And that's something that I openly share about when I'm in 12 step meetings that like not a lot of other people do because it's a really uncomfortable topic for people. But I know that like by me sharing about it, someone else might come up to me later and say like, Hey, I was struggling with that thing and I didn't think I could make it through, but you helped me with it. Um, so, you know, I've kind of looked at it and just been like, everything I've survived so many things that have happened and you know I've survived them sober which is even crazier to me sometimes um but like I haven't had to drink over it so there's really nothing that like life can throw at me anymore that I think would actually cause me to you know to drink or do those things so then when I look at that and translate it into like you know I get embarrassed sometimes um I know I said that like right I stalk you guys on Instagram Um, we're friends like in the digital world there are times when I'm like oh my gosh I can't believe I'm sharing this on my Instagram I can't believe I'm being this public right like um, I had one supervisor a previous supervisor who I love and we're like we're she said this out of like the genuine goodness of her heart but she was like you know being on Instagram might not be the best thing because of that like the boundaries that you want to set with clients and things like that And I had to really take a look at it and say, like, what is it that I'm sharing openly on my Instagram? How am I using my platform? Um, What does that look like for me? And, you know, 
I don't, you know, I don't tag my husband in posts. Um, you'll find him on my Instagram if you look hard enough. He's in some, he's in some things because, you know, we've been married, my husband now and I have been married and we are in a really solid relationship and I trust him and I love him. And, you know, I think that it's important to capitalize on like, okay, I'm telling you to go on a date night with your husband. Look, here's me and my husband at the Rancid concert. We're going to go home and go to bed at 1030 because we're old too. (laughs) And it's on a Tuesday night. Um, But like, anytime I look at it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I like, what are people going to think of me if I, you know, live vlog my day if I you know showcase all of these things there's something in the back of my head that's like but people already might think something of you anyway right like you went through this really bad thing and like you're still a good therapist at least like I think I'm a good therapist I've had clients that think I'm a good therapist maybe some of them think I'm not a good therapist but um you know someone else's behaviors and their choices don't dictate my ability to be a good therapist and like I said like apparently when shit hits the fan the first thing that I go to is career preservation mode so I'm not that worried about it and getting your dog yeah (laughs) always yeah always prioritize the pups it's like that scene in like um legally blonde (laughs) when Elle takes um the nail tech back to her house to like go get the dog and she starts speaking with and using all the legal jargon she's like we're taking the dog. I love it. That's that was me in that moment. I'm like, I'm taking my dog. So good. Oh my gosh. Well, Margaret, you have given us so much amazing. I mean, the story is incredible. So much insight. But is there anything else you would say, like advice you would give if someone was experiencing, and hopefully not something exactly the same, but maybe similarly aligned, like what advice might you give to someone, you know, sharing a similar experience? All right. This is not sponsored. But get yourself a network. <laughs> go, to the, go to the therapist network if you don't have one where you are. You're the best. Uh, no, but like realistically, yeah. right? Like get your support. I, leaned, I leaned so much on those people that I had. And I was lucky that I already had relationships built up where like people mm-hmm. knew me and people knew, you know, they were on my team. They were on my side. They wanted to see me be successful. Um and they cared about my career just as much as I did. So they helped me protect it as well. But if you don't have those things, like find it, right? Like, you know, you could be from the middle of nowhere, New Hampshire. Hey, that's where I am. Come see me. Um, we can hang out. You know, we can have our own Zoom meeting. We can do whatever you want. But like find people that get it and that mm-hmm. care about, you know, your career as much as you do care about those things and, you know, just knowing that like someone else's success isn't your failure. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to reach out to other successful people and see like, how did you do it? What are you doing? What do you use? Because like, I mean, I would say like, I firmly believe both of you are successful and you're not my competition, right? Like we're here and you would be the people that I might go to now if I have a problem Mm -hmm. come up. Mm Mm-hmm. I love what you said. It's it's find people who get it and care about you, I think is what that distills down to. I love it. Yeah. Oh, so good. And so happy that, again, that we are, like, we know you through the network, but just hearing the story, so amazing. Um, and because, again, we do also stock you on Instagram, we know your content's so good. So please, girl, drop that handle. Where can people find you outside of the podcast? 
Okay, so outside of the podcast, you can find me on Instagram. My Instagram handle is Continuity Counseling. Um, that's my private practice. I see clients in New Hampshire, Massachusetts, and I can see them in Vermont. A select small number. Um, I do telehealth. Um, so yeah, you can find me there. I also have a digital wellness shop. Um, w- yeah, I dropped some um, some like digital journals and other things um, just to like, you know, help with self-care when you're in therapy I think it's it can be really hard when your therapist is like oh do track track this do a mood journal do this like I ask my clients to do that and I'm like I don't have a place to point them to get it so um that is another Instagram that's clarity consortium they're both linked together but um yeah you can find me on Instagram and I try to share parts of my life there you know but hopefully not too much because I don't need anyone stealing my husband again Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Margaret. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for Effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah, over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge if you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. <laughs>